The Department of Health and Human Services has recognized both human trafficking and opioid addiction as major public health issues, creating a dangerous intersection for citizens as well as justice system resources. Is legislation effective in combating the opioid crisis happening everywhere in our country? In this third part of our series, we will speak with South Carolina legislator Russell Fry to learn about what is taking place legislatively. Please share each episode of this series with your circle of friends and followers, your local media contacts, and your local legislators to see if, as a nation, we can get a grip on this crisis. Thanks for joining Imagine Publicity on Air, who's partnering with the FBI Citizens Academy to bring you this three-part series on the opioid crisis from three different perspectives, the addict, the law, and legislation. Also discussed will be the intersection of the opioid crisis and how it relates to another crisis, human trafficking. I'm Delilah Jones, the host of Imagine Publicity on Air. But for this very important three-part series, I toss the reins to Jillian Moss-Backman, who hosts her own podcast titled Change Already. So hopefully we'll see some change through this. Jillian is an award-winning former FM radio host, author, and authority in leadership development and intuitive intelligence. Her clients include high-profile professionals, educational institutions, and businesses nationwide. You can learn more about her and her work at JillianMossBackman.com. Thanks, Jillian, for stepping into this and recognizing the critical need for the correct information to be presented to the public. Um, this this is the last of the series, but possibly one of the most important episodes, don't you think? I absolutely agree. You must have been reading my mind, Delilah. Almost everything that was in my head is what you just said. First and foremost, again, I want to thank you for allowing me and Imagine Publicity to do this series And when I was asked to host it, one of the things that kept coming up in my mind is, as a layperson, I really don't understand all of this that's going on. And I know that it seems very simple to a lot of people, but I've been in different conversations. I see it on the news all the time. And I'm a little confused about what the opioid crisis is about and the intersection, as you called it, between opioids and sex trafficking. So that's one of the reasons I decided to step into the chair so I could ask some questions, and hopefully I'll be asking questions that our listeners and other people out there may have as well. As you said in the last couple episodes, we've been talking to lots of different conversations We talked about the individual, the addict, with a lawyer that represents the addict, the hows and possibly why this happens in a person's life. And then the second hour, we talked about relationships. That was just heart-wrenching. Please go back and listen to it. I know we don't want to hear these stories, but unfortunately, I think we have to be a part of these stories in order to find the solutions. And I listened to that mother that was on air talking about her heroin-addicted son. And it was one of the, probably one of the hardest episodes I've ever had to conduct because as a mother, 
as a friend, and as a sibling, those things are all affected by this epidemic. This last hour, as Delilah said, we're going to take it to a broader point now. We're going to take it to the communities and legislation. And hopefully, I think Representative Russell Fry is leading the way in one of these ways we can get a hold of this. So welcome, Representative Russell Fry. Let me tell you a little bit about him before we get started. He is from Myrtle Beach area. He represents uh, Horry County. For those of you outside South Carolina, that's right on the border. The beach, it's beautiful. My new home, and I thought I would be learn more about this. He's been in the House of Representatives since 2015, and I'm going to let him step back. I'm going to step back and let him tell a little bit about it because I really want to know, Representative, what makes a person want to do a job like this nowadays? <laughs> Sorry, but uh, I'm going to throw it right back into in the get-go. Please tell me something good and why you wanted to do this. Well, the short answer to that is temporary insanity, I would say. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I agree. Uh, <laughs> But I, I will tell you, uh, first of all, thank you both for, for hosting this and talking about these two very important issues. Uh, you know, awareness is so important in this uh, in this field and making sure that people understand it and, and can spot it. Um, but I, I got started, as you talked about before, three years ago. I'm 33 years old, uh, one of the youngest members of the House. And I had always been interested in politics, talked politics, debated politics, um, you know, and I went through a period where I thought that I might run many, many moons ago. Um, but then I kind of looked at it and said, you know what, that, that's just not for me. You know, I, I, I kind of want to just sit back and raise a family and, um, you know, be active in my community. And, um, it, you know, because I knew that the time, the time commitment it would take. Um, and, and this, uh, you know, we grew up in, in my household in kind of a lower middle class household. My parents worked very, very hard. Um, I grew up, uh, one of my first places that I lived was in a cinder block house that did not have heat or air conditioning. And for those of you who uh, live currently um, south of the Mason-Dixon line, you know how challenging that would be in the summertime. Yeah, that, um, but, yeah, that's a little <laughs> scary to think of, yeah, actually. But, we, you know, we always talked, and, and I saw the maybe the struggles that they went through, and, and you know, it's just as two parents trying to, to make it work for uh, me and my two younger brothers, and so um, you know that was kind of my motivation is that I that I saw a need that, that for a voice for people um, who uh, who were working hard, who were diligent, certainly who maybe didn't have everything that they wanted, um, but were working to make sure that they had everything that they needed. And and so um, this particular seat opened up, and um, I was actually I wasn't actually planning on running, but I was asked by two or three different folks to throw my hat in the ring. And I said, well, okay, let, let me talk to my wife first and see how what she says. And she said yes. And so there we went and made it kind of a summer project. I mean, I worked in the uh, mornings at my I practice law, put myself through um, school, um, but uh, worked in the mornings at the law firm um, and at nighttime. But in the afternoons, I'd peel off and go knock on doors and talk to people and um you know, hear what they had to say. So that was kind of the start of my journey into politics. That's a good synopsis. I'm still shaking my head going, wow, that, that's a real commitment. But it, 
sounds from the tone of your voice that your family was all in and that you really are making headways in lots of different areas, especially this opioid crisis. I'm interested in knowing how you became a part of the Opioid Abuse Prevention Study Committee in South Carolina on the representative side. How exactly did you get involved in that? Well, so, you know, obviously anyone who has watched news at all in the last three years has seen this problem. And um, one of the things that struck me uh, maybe two years ago was that Horry County was number one in the state for opioid-related overdoses and oh. deaths. Oh, and um, so I saw a need just from a policy standpoint to go, okay, what are we doing wrong here? And, and what are ways that we can partner with federal folks or, or state folks and, and certainly the local government to kind of combat this? And um, I've had a friend up in Columbia who knew another legislator who I knew of and knew, uh, but didn't know well. And he had actually lost a son to the, um, who he overdosed on heroin, um, had Mm. been in uh, recovery for a long time and relapsed. And um, this person suggested that I approach uh, Eric Bettingfield, who was the gentleman in the legislature with me. And I kind of felt a little weird about it at first. I said, you know, I I don't want to feel like I'm, I'm making political hay out of, somebody's grief, and, and, and I, I don't think I'm going to do that, but um, get the issue myself, and he actually approached me um, and said, hey, I hear you're interested in, in partnering up, and so there began, became a great, certainly a working relationship, but um, a great friendship. I mean, we talk uh, pretty much every week now. He's no longer in the legislature with us. Um, he retired from it, but, um, you know, really started kind of coffee chats and, and discussions, you know, um, in session and, and meetings and just informal impromptu stuff and, and really grew to this committee that we see here um, and, and overall was responsible, I think, in the last two years for about 15 pieces of legislation and some significant investments in South Carolina from a budgetary standpoint on addressing this crisis. Now, is that committee a new committee, this Opioid Abuse Prevention Committee? Has that been around for a while, or is that something new that has grown out of the, this horrible need to really take a look at legislation issues? You know, that was a, uh, it, it is a new committee to answer the question shortly. Um, it was formed yeah. two years ago um, yeah. because of the discussions that Eric and I were having and, and pushing a, a bunch of different policies and legislation. You know, we had a, a conversation with the Speaker of the House, and he said, listen, I want to give resources to this. I want y'all to do um, very well on this issue. We need it in South Carolina. And so the speaker actually formed a committee. Um, Eric ended up chairing it um, on the front end. Um, and then when he retired, I'm, uh, I'm the new chairman of it now. But it really, uh, really kind of grew and, and got legs because of that, uh, that very issue and, um, and, and just the urgency and the need for it not only across the country, but certainly in this state and in our local communities. You had talked about that it's a new committee, and so it looks like we're talking about two different prongs of this aspect of opioids and trafficking. Can you tell me what the committee has been doing the last year and possibly 
where your goals and aspirations are for this coming year, or do they overlay each other, Representative? Well, they do, and, and they overlay, and, and there are some things that we, we had tremendous success, but there are some things that we weren't able to get to maybe the last two years that, that we want to continue to push. But there's also a change, really, in um, the issue. And so you see the rise of fentanyl, as an example, and, and how potent and powerful and destructive that is. And so the committee, I think, is, is trying to adapt as best it can um, to meet these challenges that are coming and facing not only South Carolina, but all states. Um, and, you know, we we started two years ago, I think. Um, you talked about earlier that y'all had heard from um, – and a recovering addict and, and their family and, and the story, Correct. the powerful story behind Correct. that. And I, and I will tell both of you and, and all the listeners, you know, that's how we started too. I mean, our first committee meeting officially was in Greenville, South Carolina. We toured the state every month in the off session, went to a different location. Um, and we heard from professionals. Sure. We heard from law enforcement and doctors and teachers and um, county officials and school administrators and, and, medical professionals of all types. We heard from them all, but the most important people that we heard from were those who have lost loved ones and those who were in uh, recovery or recovering from addiction. And I'll tell you, uh, those stories, we started off with those stories uh, and we ended our, our last meeting this past year with those stories because it is, it, it's just so important to keep focus on the human elements of this. I mean, and, and, you know, we can get, mired in the weeds of policy very easily um, in the le- in the legislature. And, and for us, uh, it was really important for us to, to make sure that we focus, continue to focus on the people that matter, because it is such a big problem that, that, you know, that it affects so many people that we, that we know, that we go to church with, that are in classes with us. I mean, you can, your neighbors, uh, I mean, it, it is everywhere. It is so big that it is affecting the labor market. Um, in a negative way. And, you know, we have jobs out there that need to be filled, but we don't have qualified people to fill them. And part of the reason behind that is the opioid epidemic. So um, those stories are, are hugely critical, but because of that passion uh, it, from the whole committee, really, um, it really was instrumental in, in passing, like I said, 15 bills um, over the last couple of years that dealt with education, dealt with uh, doctor practice management issues, um, dealt with law enforcement. You know, we, we brought in professionals to tell us what they needed, and everyone wanted a seat at the table to kind of help uh, find solutions on this. So we had a very collaborative and maybe holistic approach to this, this issue the last couple of years, and I hope that we continue that these next few years. So that tells me that you have no hope that it's going to go away, right? I mean, do you well, think I, this is a I, social I, problem that's going to continue to grow, or is your committee hopeful to think that the solutions can at least contain it? The numbers, I think every state is doing this now. They're focused on it. The numbers are continuing to rise. I don't think that's a reflection of the policy, but here's the thing and, and that we should all remember. We didn't get to this crisis overnight. I mean, this is 20, 30 years in the making building up to this. Uh, so it is very difficult, to, you know, because of the way that addiction works, especially addiction as a, you know, from an opioid perspective, and how potent these drugs are, and how that they chemically re-engineer your brain 
Um, it is so uh, it, it, we're in this for the long haul, but there are encouraging signs, uh, certainly that, that that we can look to and 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 see that our work is important and that it's that it's working. Uh, but you know, certainly South Carolina last year the numbers continued to rise, notwithstanding our legislation. But I think it's going to take a little bit for some of this stuff to kind of settle down. Awareness certainly is key. Education is key, and prevention is key. Um, but also dealing with the, the mental health component of it uh, and the addiction side of it and, and helping these folks get back to uh, a life that, that they can enjoy um, and, and, you know, be productive members of society, raise a family, you know, open a business. Um, and so I, I, I'm encouraged. I, look, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, – a lot of work to do, uh, for sure. Uh, but I was—I am encouraged by the results that we've seen th- thus far, and I know that we're not alone um, in facing this uh, because other states are dealing with it as well. So, uh, we as it, as it evolves, as we see new challenges emerge, we've got to continue to adapt to that and make sure that we are um, stamping out this problem in our state as best we can. I really like that you used the word holistic approach. That was pretty cool. You know, I have a thought as I was in the holistic community myself for a long time. Are you finding that educators and physicians and prevention and all of these people, do they have the manpower? Do they have the willingness to participate in getting this? under control, and do you think it's because of the financial part that it's costing on communities, or do you think it's a little bit of everything that's bringing everybody to this table? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything, and, and, and that is why it was so important. You know, I mean, if you talk to our sheriff locally, and you talk to law enforcement folks just in general, I think that they all recognize that you cannot arrest your way out of this problem. Um, yeah. And so... Uh, but th- so they are. They certainly want to try to ar- arrest the people that need to be arrested. But they also understand the need um, on the flip side, from a recovery standpoint, is that these people need help. Um, and uh, and a lot of times, th- this is not the stereotypical back alley junkie uh, that is passed out, on the, you know, in some random alleyway somewhere. I mean, these are people that live amongst us, that go to church with us, that look fine on the surface but that they have uh, some issue that they continue to take pills for. Um, and, you know, it just, it just continues to spread. I mean, those pills are left in a medicine cabinet, maybe after a surgery, and your child gets a hold of them. So, you know, educators, I think, see a need just because they have a passion for children. They want to be at the forefront of this. The medical community sees not only um, the problem from a from medical side, but they also see a problem um, – in that the emergency rooms are clogged up with overdoses and things like that. So they, I think that they understand and, and were very helpful actually in, in crafting really good, sensible legislation for South Carolina. Um, and, and they see it. I mean, I think uh, teachers and medical professionals at their core really have a, an aptitude and, and a, an appreciation for just people in general. I mean, that's that's why they get into those fields is that they love children, they love people, they want people to have healthy lifestyles and and to live long and prosperous. And so, at their very core, those those professions, you know, um, 
see this stuff. Uh, they, they're on the front lines of this epidemic every single day. And so they, they see a need to also be a part of the solution in helping uh, address it. It sounds like it's systemic. I mean, it, it just touches all aspects of community health, wellness, and everything else. Now, you mentioned that you have a plan going forward for this year. What thoughts and what does your committee plan on accomplishing for the year coming in front of us? Yeah. Do you have some goals so, there? Absolutely. Um, some of the we we uh, finalized a report um, last week. We met on Wednesday when we were up there, and we had been working on a report because uh, we our legislative session just for everybody goes from January to May, and um, so in the off session from May to December, this committee continued to meet and uh, talk to people and hear from uh, different folks on uh, the data on what we had done and also what we continue, need to continue to focus on. So when we, uh, we, we produced a report, which was an addendum to our earlier report that said, okay, here's our successes, here's where we want to focus. And there's, you know, it continued to be that kind of that holistic approach. This year, I think, um, at least initially right now, what we're looking at is anything that we did not pass uh, in the last two years, and we passed mo most of it. Uh, we're going to refile that as legislation again. Uh, but we also wow. want to add some, um, some components from a law enforcement perspective. You know, I talked to our U.S. attorney, um, Sherry Lydon, a couple weeks ago, and she said, Russell, we are jammed up in prosecuting. Because there's a federal statute that says that if you, as a drug dealer, give drugs to somebody or sell drugs to somebody and they overdose, you can be prosecuted for manslaughter. Um, if they if they die, but we don't have that provision in South Carolina, and so Sherry will tell you, um, our U.S. Attorney, she'll she'll tell you that, that that she is overwhelmed in prosecuting those types of cases because the state doesn't have a mechanism to do that, um, and so one of our bills this year deals in that component is in that you take bad actors that are doing this and you give tools to law enforcement to allow them to do their job. Certainly, you continue to focus on the, the needs of the, the community and from a recovery standpoint and education. But these bad actors that are out there that are hawking these pills on the street, you know, they got to go, and they need to be punished for, for the crimes that they're committing. Um, and, and so that's, that's one aspect of our law enforcement approach this year. Um, there are some other components to that. Um, and, and partnering, again, with the educators in the medical community to, to deal with this is so critical. I mean, and, and just little things like, uh, you know, there is not an emergency, you know, all drugs are scheduled, right? Um, they're, they're different schedules. They're scheduled two, they're scheduled threes, fours and fives, depending on what they do and the type of drug that they are. Most opioids, I think, uh, are, are considered schedule twos. Um, and, but if, if you as a drug dealer take uh, uh, cocaine or heroin or, uh, an oxycotton, and you modify the chemical composition ever so slightly, it no longer fits in those schedules. And so little things like scheduling of drugs and emergency scheduling powers to our state agencies to allow them to schedule these things so that people can be prosecuted and held accountable, um, that is, that's little administrative things like that are so critical because we don't have those right now. Well, it sounds like this committee is really trying to stay a hold of things as they change so quickly. It's impressive, Russell, that you have done your homework and you're really 
out there talking to all these people and you really seem to genuinely understand at this point the challenges, part of the solutions, and how it's ever evolving on the streets. Uh, kudos to you. Thank so you. So with that, let's move over to the other part of the sex okay. trafficking. You know, that's a big intersection that everybody's talking about. And I have this, I have a daughter, and she's young, and, and she's beautiful. Uh, to me, she's beautiful. <laughs> you know, doesn't everybody yeah. think their kids are the most beautiful people in the world? Uh, absolutely. I've always, I've always had this fear that she's going to get snatched off the street and somebody's going to take her away into this sex trafficking thing. But I'm beginning to learn that's really not what it's about. It is this sick underground web between opioids and and all these different businesses. It, it's bigger than kids getting snatched off the street, isn't it? You know, and, and, and that is so important. And these, these issues are not issues in isolation. I mean, they all kind of, I think you just yeah. talked about it, the intersection. They all kind of hit and intersect with each other at various different points. And really all drug use, uh, you know, the, the link, the criminal element between trafficking and drug use and, and peddling drugs on the streets. I mean, the, the people who do this are people who sell drugs are the very types of people who, you know, would be apt to, to getting involved in human trafficking and do. Um, so I, I think you're exactly right. These issues are not in isolation. Um, and they, they continue to be problems. And, and human trafficking is just, you know, it's an abhorrent practice that, that, that I think the state has been very good at, at keeping uh, tabs on and trying to, to do what we need to do to, to uh, address it. Um, but you're right. And, and, and I, I talked to an FBI agent maybe, gosh, it must have been a year or so ago. And he, he told me, he said, Russell, he said, what's, what's interesting about the dynamic in, in these two issues <clears throat> is that they are linked. Tells and, and, um, are not trafficking in drugs as much. They're trafficking in people. And why is that? Well, drugs in an evidence locker stay drugs in an evidence locker. Their chemical compositions do not change, and the evidence stays what it is. But humans can be manipulated in such a powerful way uh, by these folks that trafficking, that, that you can manipulate the brain so, so that victims, and that are true victims, think of themselves not as victims, but as, uh, you know, and they'll they'll go and defend the very people who put them in that world. I mean, it's it's it's, it's crazy for us to think about, but little things over time matter. There was a, there was a victim that spoke at this conference I was at, and she said, you know, um, it took me a long time to realize that I was being trafficked, but I was. But she said, but this guy came out of nowhere. He was nice to me. Um, he uh, gave me a little attention, and because of the home and the background that I grew up in, and I never had that before, you know, I was willing to do anything. And, you know, he would take me out and have, give me a McDonald's cheeseburger, and she said, that's not much. But to me, in, in, the, in the environment that I grew up in, that was everything. And she said, so I went along with everything for a while, and I defended him for a long, long time, um, not realizing the, the world that he had put me in, but but people do that, and there is a giant intersection between, you know, drugs and trafficking. I mean, they they go um, hand in hand, and uh, where you see one, you are likely to see another. 
Yeah, it's like the Stockholm syndrome on steroids. But, you know, right. it's, it's opioids instead, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, right. you know, you get in there and you get these kids. The thing that disturbs me the most, Russell, is it sounds like it's really being targeted now at minors. I, I don't Correct. know why. And it's not just the typical you know, prostitute gets in there young, they get addicted kind of thing. It's mother-daughters, it's people trying to get power, you know, and, and what in the world is that all about? Is is it true or am I just seeing something that's not out there? Is it it's really going down to minors now? Uh, it, it is, and, and there's a, there's a lot of reasons oh. for that. But, but you are you are a hundred percent correct in in that issue. Um, and and you see runaways, people who are troubled, that maybe are rebellious teenagers or whatever, and and they yeah. um, they they run away, they get looped up into this entire world. Uh, you know, it doesn't. And here's the thing too about trafficking is is much like I talked about the opioid epidemic and how. The, the stereotypes about a back alley junkie don't apply here. The same thing goes with human trafficking. I mean, we hear stories about people who are locked up in closets, right? But those are right. those are the exceptions to the those are the exceptions here. Most of these folks think that they're they're not victims. Um, they think that everything's fine, and 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 it, that's that's why the human brain is so powerful, um, but can also be manipulated very easily sometimes. When you have a troubled youth or, or a mother-daughter scenario, you uh, invest as a person in, in trust into the person who's caring for you or seems to be caring for you, and, and you want love and you want adoration and you want appreciation because we all do. Um, and so over time, you're willing to do more and more and more. I mean, if you, if you ask uh, an average person, will you go do this on the street for me right now, they would say no time, if you can kind of erode that a little bit, and that's what happens in these trafficking scenarios, if you can erode that a little bit, you're caught up into a world that you kind of, to some extent, were manipulated into thinking was acceptable and okay. Um, it's, never, it's never right at the start where, hey, I just met you, will you go do this? Or, hey, uh, it's never, usually never that way. It's, it's slowly over time eroding a person's um, soul and their confidence and, and and kind of manipulating them to, to do ultimately what you want them to do. So it it, it takes a while to get there, uh, for sure. But it's it's it, much like the the drug and, and drugs help fuel that. You know, I mean they really do. Um, especially if you're addicted, you are you are prone to being in multiple different arenas that you are just not familiar with. But you're willing to do to get maybe that next high or whatever. And a lot is talked about on the victim side. You know, let's. I want to talk about the perpetrators, the other people on the other side. You know, it's a it's a a snake in the grass. Do you cut the head off? Do you cut the tail off? You know, which end do you work at, or do you you know, these perpetrators and people that are doing this. This is not a small operation, Russell. These no. people seem to have it like a sophisticated cartel, as you put it or large groups that just keep moving these kids around and these people. And we're not talking yep. just women. We're talking young men, too, young men and Correct. women. This is, this is perverse through the whole system. 
how Absolutely. do you go after the perpetrators and the the groups that are instigating this whole thing? I mean, you got to go at it both ends and legislation wise. Correct. I know you've been working on a few bills. Is that what you're going after? Yeah, you know, last year's bill um, that I mentioned earlier, um, we worked Betty Hubion, who who y'all know was instrumental in that, uh, and we worked with the Attorney General's office here. Um, but it, it it had two components to it, and and both of and both components hit on both of those prongs that you just discussed. One component was that it increased penalties for trafficking of minor children. Okay, so that was huge. Um, and the yeah. other component was it really set up kind of a centralized uh, uh, provider system within the Attorney General's office that nonprofits and, and whatnot, so that uh, so that victims could get the services they need. I mean, before that law passed, you had a lot of people out there doing services, which was great, but there was no kind of organization or structure to it. And so uh, it was really important. Um, Catherine uh, Moorhead, who heads up the Human Trafficking Task Force within the Attorney General's office, is fantastic. I mean, she started um, kind of a human trafficking apparatus uh in Cambodia and Vietnam, um, and so we have her in this state, and she's a great resource, but she's doing the same for us. And so you've got to prosecute. I think you've got, you've certainly got to prosecute um, and try to get a handle on it. Importantly, too, just as important is that uh, victims, specifically minors um, who are in this world, you know, it's going to take a little bit to to get their head out of it. And so we, we got to make sure that we, uh, we're doing our part to, to give these young uh, women and men, you know, a quality of life that they can return to um, so that they don't go back into the very system that they were a part of. These laws that you're working on, are they going to be adaptable to be worked out on the street? You know, it's one thing to put in legislation that we've seen over time and, you know, years and years, and it's on the books, Russell, but is there an application to it? Does it really happen in the communities where this stuff is going down? Yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the, uh, South Carolina was one of the first states, I think many years ago before I was in the legislature to adopt a human trafficking law. Um, and certainly it is not without its flaws or faults. Um, and, and so moving forward, you know, I think that continued setup of the apparatus uh, is, is so important in getting it right, and that this issue is, is growing um, and, and is there, uh, but getting, one, awareness, and two, to make sure that we have the system in place that could help people out. You know, a couple of years ago, they had um, the Chief Justice of the South Carolina Supreme Court mandated that all judges go, and, and as part of their continuing education, uh, go and attend a human trafficking summit and seminar that they had in Colombia on ways that you spot it. I mean, so because this issue is new, because people don't, people have a tendency to believe that it's going to be this uh, uh, a, a girl locked in the closet type of scenario. They're not yeah. seeing the, the small signs maybe in a courtroom that would indicate that it's still trafficking, but it's not that stereotype. And so Breaking down those stereotypes is so important so that, that people, law enforcement officials, judges, uh, see signs that are uh, uh, 
that, that, that would indicate human trafficking and can act on them. And so I think that's big uh, and, and continuing to kind of set up those services for people. Um, I know that certainly Betty is on the, the cutting edge of that. Uh, the Attorney General's office is, and, and this bill that we filed uh, last uh, couple weeks ago does some of that uh, and also continues to give law enforcement tools to um, to address it and and that's important too I mean we have uh, there there's a wiretap provision in this bill uh, that is very limited in scope so that we're not a, a, a invading people's Fourth Amendment rights and things like that but um, but but that is a key component that we have that on the federal level um, and, it, and it might not be a scenario where you have to go do that for every little person that, that is doing it, but on big operations, that is a tool that could be used. Um, uh, definitions matter, and, and, and that's what we're going to seek, at least from the minor perspective, is that we're kind of tweaking some of the definitions a little bit that include more um, uh, operations from a minor perspective so that, that we're, we're addressing this, we're continuing to evolve. And, and there's a lot of studies out there that show um, that have responded well to this. Uh, I, I would say at least South Carolina is considered the most improved from last year to this year, um, and we want to continue that trend, making sure that we <clears throat> stamp this out in South Carolina, that we don't tolerate it. We're just, quite frankly, it's, a, it's an important practice, and I don't think that it does anybody any good for, for us to turn a blind eye of complacency to this issue. And so um, I'm going to keep putting you know, as much pressure as I can to make sure that we address it as best we can, both from a from a legal standpoint in, in legislation and from a budgetary standpoint. I know that they have approached um, the budget committee about having investigators uh, uh, for human trafficking scenarios. They don't have that right now. Uh, they rely largely on um, average investigators and the federal folks, but we need those types of things in South Carolina to make sure that we uh, address it properly and that uh, that we put cases together that put these people behind bars um, and we're, get them off the street. It sounds like you have a really pretty good handle on the legislative side of what you have to do, especially here in South Carolina. And it really sounds like South Carolina is leading the way. Do you think the bill that you're talking about with the amendments, do you think it's going to pass or is there going to be more pushback on it? Well, um, you never know, um, but last year <laughs> yeah, was funny. Exactly. Um, you know, last year was funny. You know, we had 170 members of the General Assembly. 124 of those are in the House, and 46 in the Senate. And so our, our bill passed the House unanimously and goes over to the Senate. And because of the way their rules are, you know, it just takes one senator to hold up a bill, and it took a while. Um, but I ended up approaching. There was a lady. Her name was Pat Hennigan. She she serves in the House with me. And, um, she's an African-American from, uh, I think, the York County in between. She's got parts of Hartsville and stuff like that. And she asked me, she said, uh, she said, hey, Boo, where's our where's our uh, human trafficking bill? And I said, well, I said, it's doing well, uh, but it, I can't get it unstuck. There's a senator over there that keeps holding it up. And she told me, she said, well, who's the senator? And I, I told her, and she knew that senator. She said, I'm going to call him right now, and I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. And she did, and, I'll, you know, it oh, worked. Oh, my so, gosh. <laughs> it, it turns like that sometimes, you know, when, when you, you've got to educate people and talk to them. Um, you know, you can file a bill all day long, but chances are that most bills just die because uh, they, don't, they don't make it across the finish line. But I will tell you that um, Betty is 
certainly incredible in, in working with her. Um, she she can help mobilize folks. The attorney general's office has been good in, in helping to to maybe smooth over issues that certain legislators have or, or discuss stuff. So I think we're going about the issue the right way. And and I'll tell you this, uh, I, I'm nothing but persistent. Um, so if it doesn't if it doesn't make it because it dies with with the expiration of time, we'll be back again. We're going to keep pushing this issue because it's that important to this state. It's that important to families. Um, and, and making sure that we address it in South Carolina. So uh, I think we've got a lot of good headwinds that will, or uh, uh, winds that will help us push it across the finish line. But you, you never know. Um, it just it, it, there's a, any number of things that can happen that could slow this thing up or hold it up. Um, but we'll keep trying no matter what. I mean that's what we did with the first human trafficking bill. It took three years, but we got it, we got it through. You got that. It sounds like you're very committed to seeing the finish line on that. Last week when I was talking to the attorney about the same kind of thing, we got into what can citizens do in regards to this to help it go forward or change. You know, everybody wants to feel like they're a a part of something to change this problem. You know, and he brought up flooding inboxes of the state representatives that are in their district and keep flooding their email and do a campaign every week on you've got to take care of this issue, you've got to take care of this issue. And, and I said to him, do you think that's really an effective tool to get legislation, to get your representatives and government in your areas to listen and actually do something and he was very adamant, Russell, about, yes, he believes that's one way to go at this situation. Do you agree absolutely. with that? I mean, do you think that's a smart call? Absolutely. And I'll tell you, uh, I, I, I can't speak for every legislator, but I read every email that I get. Um, if they're not in my district, then, you know, because of the amount that we get, I don't have time to respond to people who are not in my district. But if I get people who are in my district that are committed to a particular issue and committed to a bill, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that I will vote for that just because somebody advocates for it, but it gets on my radar that there's, 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 there's voters in my district that are looking at an issue or looking at a particular bill, and that's so, that's so big. And, and here's the thing. Betty talks about this a lot. This is my bill that I filed, so I understand it. Um, but not everyone else does. They've all got issues that they're trying to focus on themselves. And so um, advocating for an issue to your legislator is key. If you don't know your legislator or who they are, get to know them. Call them. Um, you know, Go to coffee with them, uh, whatever the case is. Talk to them about this. Getting involved in, in different organizations that focus on it is so cool, too. If you're in South Carolina, there are regional human trafficking task forces. We need citizens as part of those um, because citizens – stuff. They, they're a part of this. This is something that the Attorney General's office helps set up. They have region, regions all throughout the state, and they meet, you know, and they discuss uh, the issue from, from their vantage point within that localized community, what the state is doing. They kind of help coordinate resources and efforts. So get involved in your regional um, uh, human trafficking task force. Uh, law enforcement's part of it. Um, different professions are a part of it. Citizens are a part of it. Lawyers are a part of it. So Get involved in that. Get involved. Um, I know Betty's group, uh, she's part of the Zonta Club, and, you know, one of their things is that they focus on this issue. So get involved in that. Um, there are a whole host of things uh, that, that people can do 
oppose human trafficking. When I was doing some research. A localized level. Yeah, sorry. When I was doing research, you know, back in the day, you couldn't hardly find an address for your legislators. I mean, it was like they were hiding out from the communities. You you know, you had to go hunt and peck and you had to send a letter. I was a little amazed how easy it was to find you. You know, all you have to do is go to South Carolina legislature and the member biography and there it popped your whole yep. your whole address, your bills, the things the committees you're on. I mean, that's a good thing and a bad thing, isn't it? When you're out in the public eye, know that kind of story. It's good and bad, but from this perspective, it's pretty cool. So there's really not any reason why citizens, if they have a real desire to be a part of this, get involved. Absolutely. And I think the bill, of course, I'm driving right now, but I think a number um, that that we're focused on this year is uh, H3181. That's the one that deals with sex tourism, that deals with the, the wiretap issue, that gives tools to law enforcement, that helps continue to set up, you know, systems in, in place for, for uh, victims. And um, that is uh, one that, that, that we're pushing this year that I think really will help South Carolina address this in a, in a very big, big way. Um, uh, these are all recommendations based on Sharon Hape International, who uh, studies human trafficking legislation and laws throughout the country. And these were all based on recommendations that they had on ways that South Carolina could improve um, uh, their uh, ability to to address the issue. So um, that's kind of where we stand with that. But seriously, get in touch with your legislator. We're there. We're there to help uh, people. you know, I, I get focused on, obviously, we just talked about two issues, and, and those are my, maybe my two of my larger bailiwicks uh, that I focus on. But um, people come and talk to me about, you know, pet crimes and things like that, and, and I'm not aware of all the details, and I'm not thinking that they're a problem. But unless it's in, in front of me, there are so many issues that face any local government, any state government, any federal government. And so that's why it's important just to keep it fresh on your legislators' mind um, that this is important and, and that they could become part of the solution just by doing a few things like co-signing onto the bill, helping to push it in their various committees. Uh, I, I think that's that advocacy is really beneficial to, to issues. And, and some people are not going to – I mean, candidly, I'll tell you this. If somebody approaches me and wants me to do something, and I don't think it's a good idea policy-wise – I'm going to tell them. I mean, I, I told people when I ran, we're not always going to agree, but you can you can put a dollar on it that I'm going to be. Uh, I will study it, and I will if it, if you bring it to my attention and it's important to you, I will give it a fair shot. I might not reach the same conclusion, but but are there still ways that we can work together, notwithstanding the difference of opinion? Well, maybe. Um, and so. But this this type of legislation, I think, uh, at least addressing human trafficking, it's just a win-win. I, I can't see many headwinds or uh, issues that people would have other than small ones. But it should it should you know hopefully we're able to get it through this year. In doing my homework, I went back over that bill you're talking about, and I read it. And of course, it has tons of legal ease. But even as a layperson, I was able to make heads or tails. There were some key things that. Um, stood out to me like the minors and and the profit side of things. So 
I encourage anyone that really wants to step up and know more about this to go and read that bill and the suggestions, the amendments that you're putting in there. They do seem reasonable. So, Russell, I have a question for you. You're staying there, right? You're not. You 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 you're going to keep the job. It has a. <laughs> it well, I've, I've, I've at least. In the middle. I've got a lease. I've got a. I've got a lease on it now. Are you? No, I've got a lease on that position at least for the next two years until voters either reelect me or toss me out. So um, I'm I'm it for two years. So uh, we're going to make the most of what we can um, and trying to push it. You know, certainly um, if the people can you know like what I am doing and do, then they can reelect me. But uh, uh, they're uh, I'm I'm here at least for the next two years trying to push these issues and and we'll continue to do that. And, and here's the thing too. If it's not me, it's somebody else who can who can pick up the torch, and that's what's so at least encouraging about this place is you know everyone gets caught up in the D.C. bubble, uh, you know oh yeah. the Democrats and Republicans are fighting each other, oh they hate each other, they talk at each other, yeah. not with each other. You know there's partisan divides in the South Carolina General Assembly just like everywhere else, but there really is kind of a camaraderie um, that you don't see in many places, and that people. Generally, they might disagree on policy, they might disagree on issues, but they generally want to advocate for the best part of the state. I would say, by and large, most of the people of the General Assembly, not all, but most are in it for the right reasons and are really trying to help. And so, you know, if not me, um, I, I can assure you that somebody else will continue to push this issue because it's important. It, it matters uh, how we address it. It matters what we do. Um, and and there are already some co-sponsors on my bill that, that unsolicited. I didn't ask them to join it. They just saw it and they they put their name on it. Um, and so if not me, somebody else. And and but I think the big thing is having a conversation now um, and continuing to have those that dialogue that that puts this issue on the forefront of people's mind enough that we can get it past the House, past the Senate, and to the governor's office. And that's that's the goal of any bill is create that dialogue, and if you can't succeed this time, it's like the bill that we just passed and the governor signed back in May. You know, it took three years to get there, and so the first year I got there was the end of a two-year term and because um, I, I filled a vacancy because uh, my representative resigned, and so uh, it didn't happen that year, so we refiled it again the next year, tweaked it a little bit, and pushed it through, and so it, it sometimes those conversations are just as important as getting something done because you are getting something done just by having that conversation. Well, that that gives a glimmer of hope to all of us out here that sees it from afar, and it does look like it's a mongled mess, not just in, you know, just everywhere, and you kind of take that shock position that it's like if it's, if it's not working in one state, it's probably not working in the other, and it sounds like right. you've at least got a, a group of individuals that are trying and working on uh, community solutions. So that's very cool. You know, we're, we're, coming to, we're coming to the end, but there's a couple things. You know, we talked about in the beginning the FBI Citizens Academy. That mm -hmm. is another way that people can get involved. I know they're really involved in that. And that's just a regular, regular citizen thing that people can go to, correct? Yes, ma'am. Uh, my understanding is that that, uh, that that people can do that and be a part of it. I know um, uh, Betty certainly is. I don't know if y'all are, but I, I, I know that it's helpful and it just gets people in that frame of mind. And there's, and I think the most important thing that comes out of 
groups like that is that it's a network of people of like-minded people who want to focus on a particular issue or set of issues. And, and so you kind of have a, a, a you know, you're, you're stronger together than you are individually. And so you, you kind of have a group of people who are singularly focused on that from a policy standpoint and certainly from an implementation standpoint in, in, in seeing this in their communities, what to spot, what to look for. And, and so you see a whole host of just citizens that will, hey, I saw this, this looks suspicious. Hey, I saw that, this looks a little bit um, shady. Maybe we need to uh, take a second look at this law enforcement. And that's just, that's just huge. I mean, if you see something, say something. I and mean, we, we hear that all the time. Um, but that is also very, very true of human trafficking. If you see something, say something. And it's boots on the ground. I mean, it's in every right. community. I mean, you can go. It's something that someone can do and feel somewhat empowered the other organization you talked about was Vanta. I know they too are involved in a lot of different aspects of this as well, correct? They are, and, and I know that the local Zonta in Myrtle Beach, um, they have billboards up throughout the community. I think they do fundraisers to help fund those, you know, and, and creating awareness. And, and, you know, that that is just so key. I mean, awareness is, is just the most important part of this entire thing from a human trafficking and opioid really, but uh, from a human trafficking standpoint is because people think, you know, there was a case, I think it was in Ohio a couple of years ago where, um, where the children were in closets. And so people think of human trafficking in terms of that. And, um, but they don't often think about the runaway, the troubled youth down the road, who's kind of getting mixed in with the wrong crowd, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, these are all, these are all potential pathways to a trafficking scenario. It doesn't mean that it will always happen, um, but that awareness and what Zonta does with the billboards and pushing stuff out there, I think during the bike weeks, they go down and they hand out pamphlets to the bikers that, that, that if they see something, to say something. And, you know, that, 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 that's just key is, is getting out there uh, because it really does matter. It really does. And then the other thing that we uh, thread throughout this whole series was the video for middle school and high school kids called Chasing the Dragon. It sounds like that, I watched that video, and I don't know if you're aware of it, but it's a video that can be brought into all the school systems because the one thing I've gathered over these last couple of hours is that it starts young. I mean, the opioid oh, yeah. crisis is starting young, and the lawyer was talking about representing clients that were athletes in middle school and high school and got kicked on, on opioids. So Chasing the Dragon, I think you can find that at ChasingTheDragon.com, and I think you can mm-hmm. find Zonta at Zonta.com. Is there anything we as an organization or people out there that you want to add that we didn't cover or that we need to hear from you of what we need to do out, out here. Well, I think getting involved is just so important. Um, and, you know, we cannot the, – the governments fall short. Uh, I think all of us recognize that. Um, unanimous, no matter where you are, um, is that governments fall short, and we can't just assume that they're going to be on it. And so people – and there's power in people, and then people have to to take issue and take ownership of issues and advocate and be a part of the solution and work with law enforcement. I mean, you might not be a trained officer, but if you see a, a, a you 
you know, a drug house down the street or you see a scenario with a troubled youth or whatever, talk to that youth, you know, talk to that youth, report it to law enforcement, do things just proactively. You know, our communities, I mean, we, we've all heard about the broken window theory before where, you know, if there's a broken window in a community, it just continues to deteriorate. Well, be that change, you know, be that, be that individual who's, who's going to put the line in the sand and be active. Look around you in your communities. I mean, in your HOA, gated community, you might think everything is hunky-dory, but, you know, many times they're not. Um, so be active, be uh, be part of the solution and helping people. Um, and and that I think that, that power and that light is really what drives out, you know, the darkness of what we talk about with human trafficking or with drugs. Um, and, 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 you know, we are called as just people and, and our humanity calls us to be a part of that and to look out for our neighbors. So I'd encourage anyone uh, out there to, to continue to do that or to do that in general. Uh, if you just leave it up to somebody else to do, well, the job's just never going to get done. I think it takes all of us rowing in the same direction to rec- you know, to, to understand an issue and to deal with it properly. Hey, that was well said. I, I that was excellent. Thanks. I, <laughs> I know. I know. I need to write that, that down. That was for really you. good. <laughs> I know, right? Well, it's on. On uh, we can listen back to it. The other thing I wanted to say is a lot of people think that if you haven't been involved in it, Russell, you know, people think, well, you just need to tell them to stop taking those opioids, or you need to just tell them to get new friends. Listen. It isn't like that. It's layers and layers of layers of physical and psychological and medical and, and, and all different kind of abuse. And when you come across somebody that really has an opioid challenge and they're becoming a part of this dark web, it's not that easy. You know, it's, no, a, you- it's, a, it's a light flick where you say, okay, we've got an issue here with our neighbor down the street. But you have to get professionals involved, or it will not work. Yeah, you're you're 100 right. I mean, the opioid—I cannot tell you how many times opioid people don't just choose sometimes to go get addicted to these drugs. Correct. I mean, it starts Correct. when people when somebody falls off a ladder, or somebody gets in a car wreck, or somebody has surgery. I mean, it because of the potency of these drugs and the way that they re-engineer, you know. People can get addicted to drugs, but when you get addicted to opioids, the 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 way that it reengineers your brain as as compared to say heroin or cocaine or meth or whatever else is is so much more powerful that the the draw is that much more powerful. And um, with opioids, because they generally come from uh, a doctor's office or whatever, we think that they're safe, but they're they're very, they're useful drugs. They're they're I don't want to demonize them too much, but they are powerful drugs and and there are so many people that I've talked to um, in the, over the last two years that, whose family member started on that path uh, innocently. And so it isn't like somebody just decided to go shoot up heroin in the back alley. These are people who, who, who had surgery, who fell off a ladder, who, uh, who whatever compelled them to start. But that draw, it only takes a, a maybe five or six days for you to start kind of developing an addiction. You're not full-blown. But developing an addiction, if you continue to feed that, it just gets worse. And so it, it, we've seen that problem spiral out of control across this country, and it's going to take us a while to get out of it. But I, I'm encouraged by the passion up here. I'm encouraged by the people here. 
uh, and I'm encouraged by the the progress that we've made and, and where we're headed in the future. Well, I can tell you as um, from this last hour, I'm encouraged by the dedication and the commitment that you have. And it sounds like you're really in for the long haul here of helping people do this. So thank you very much for joining me on this hour. It was awesome. Kate, do you have an email that we can leave people with before we end this conversation? Absolutely. It's um, And thank you both for having me on this. I, I appreciate being a part of this discussion. Uh, my email is uh, Russell, two S's, two L's, Fry, F-R-Y, at schouse.gov. Thank you. Representative Russell Fry from Horry County, Myrtle Beach, District 106. Keep up that good work, and, and we'll have you back, and you can keep us posted on how it's going up there with the bill and your committee. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you both. I want everyone to take to heart what we've been talking about the last couple hours and share it. It needs to be shared. We brought in some significant guests, some information that they enlightened all of us, including myself, that I never really took a time to know or understand. Please make sure that our youth are being well taken care of. We're in charge of them. There are siblings, our children, our parents. All, everyone's being affected by this. And please take a moment to share and be a part. And, and if you find in your heart that you can be a part of the solution rather than standing on the sidelines, please take a moment and reach out to one of these three people or the organizations that we've talked about herein. And I want to thank Delilah Jones and Imagine Publicity once again for allowing me to be a part of this important special event. Thank you. <laughs>